you know how you were you're just like traveled all of Europe and saw every art piece there. Philly's going to be cooler than all of that. <laughs> if you like food more than art. If you like food more than art. <laughs> I can there were Listen, we got a lot of art here too. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, collector of 80s dance bands that use a single verb as their name. Ooh, you came to the right episode today. I did. Can anybody think of any other bands that I might collect? No. Chic. Is, is that a verb? Oh, no, it's not. Yeah, see, it's got to be verbs. I'm very particular. I can't think of any. Why don't you tell us? I don't know what a verb is. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there might be more, but so far I have records by Switch, Surface, Climax, Shadow, Zap, Catch, and Change. Wow. Impressive. You really, you must really do this. <laughs> wow. I'm impressed. I don't really think of Zap as a verb normally, but I guess But it right. could be. Yeah. I mean, same thing with Surface. Yeah. Yeah. Or shadow. I zapped you, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, no. You're right. Well, I'm co-host Jeremy, and I'm starting a, a new anti-political action committee. Not like I'm against political action committees, but I just look around me and I think, you know, everything is fine still. We don't need to do anything, right? And No um, notes. <laughs> everything's great and i'm calling this new anti-political action committee changes baloney <laughs> now it's I'm, gonna catch on <laughs> see i want to i want to somehow make Pac political action committee into a two-pac thing and he had the song changes Ooh. but i wasn't ready for your title so i'm gonna just go ahead with what i had planned and that is that my name is Peter Cook, your normally relatively chill co-host, but I am hopping hostile after spending an hour at Pantera Bread waiting for Get my em. order. <laughs> In fact, I'm we so... Have a, we have a dissatisfied customer <laughs> on our hands. I'm so upset with Pantera Bread. I'm so hopping hostile that you could, uh, you can just call me Crab for this episode. Ooh, you should have just walked. Oh, <laughs> well, that's the three normal co-hosts. Is there anybody else in the house? Hey, I'm Lauren Rand. I don't have a fancy uh, thing to say about who I am and why I'm here, <laughs> except to say that I am a vinyl hoarder and I'm a proud uh, returning person. I'm proud to be returning for my third time on the podcast. Yeah. It's kind of become a tradition here. I'd buy that for a dollar that you come on in the fall time and talk yes. to us about a hype record. And nice. about Quebecois separatism. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an expert on uh, Quebecois separatism, but happy to 
teach everyone how to pronounce Quebecois and other French words. Yeah, I walked in with my food late to the recording session, and that was the green room discussion that was happening. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know why. (laughs) Because as an American, I feel it is my duty to grill any Canadians about Quebecois separatism. (laughs) Yes, Lauren is our Canadian guest. And what did you bring this time, Lauren? First, I want to say thank you. Yes, I am a Canadian guest um, based in Toronto, not uh, Quebec, but maybe I'll be in Montreal sometime soon and I can scope out all the great uh, Montreal disco records in dollar bins in Quebec. But I brought Sharing Your Love, which is the third studio album by Change. Change. It's a verb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really, really like this record. It was released in 1982. And I don't really remember the first time I heard Change's music, but I've always sort of known them as a heavy hitter in the world of disco. And I found this record for five bucks. And I picked it up right away. I assumed that because of the price and the year it was released, um, that it wouldn't be as good as their first two records. I'm curious, did you guys know about Change before I brought this on the the pod? Negative. Hard no. Yeah, I've known about Change for a long time. (laughs) I've got Miracles. I still don't have a good copy of Glow of Love. I found some like really beat up ones that I've passed on. Mm -hmm. And then I also really like their 1984 record, Change of Heart, that Mm -hmm. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis produced. Nice. Oh, Oh, wow, you go deep. Yeah. Play a song. (laughs) First, I just want to say um, this record definitely has more elements of R&B than their previous records. Um, And I've given it a few more listens again for this podcast and realizing that it really does stand up on its own. It's not perfect. I think the cover of Oh, What a Night is a truly awful cover. I can't (laughs) stand it. It's like unlistenable. (laughs) But I think that if Change hadn't released, you know, two massively successful records prior to this one that this record would still be talked about today. But yeah, I played this next track we want to play. I played this track, uh, Take You to Heaven at a recent DJ night and people loved it. It's a really great like track to warm up the crowd. It's got a bit of a slower tempo and a steady bass that Change is kind of known for in their earlier records. So yeah, we've got uh, Take You to Heaven. Let's warm up the podcast crowd with that selection let's do it side b track two take you to heaven
To my ears, that would be a great example of sophisticated funk. Would anybody agree with that? Sophistifunk? Sophistifunk. <laughs> is, I assume the sophistication is the musical side, not the lyrical side. <laughs> yeah, generally yeah. the lyrics don't have to be sophisticated for it to be sophistifunk. <laughs> yeah, it's really tight. It's like very well produced. Yeah, tight, well-produced, usually a little bit more of a laid-back tempo, oftentimes mm-hmm. a lot of extra instrumentation, kind of a lush sound going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also has that four-on-the-floor beat that I think is like really prominent and carried by more than one instrument. So it's like almost jarring, but definitely belongs on a dance floor, despite it not being super high uh, BPM. Yeah, it's definitely got those post-disco vibes to it, for sure. Yeah. Sean, do you happen to know the name Johnny Kemp at all? Seen it around and kind of know it. I don't know a whole lot about him, though. He was the songwriter behind that. Oh. He's a Bahamian singer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he had had a huge hit in 1988, about six years after this, called Just Got Paid. That's his big claim to fame. But yeah, he co-wrote this along with Davide Romani, who I'm sure we will mention (laughs) again, uh, an Italian (laughs) musician who also plays keyboards on this album and was heavily involved in the arranging Mm -hmm. and conducting of much of it. Uh, Effectively, like a Mm co-producer, Davide Romani. And that's a really good segue into just like, the point I want to make from the top, which is that Change was a group made up of session musicians. You know, there's so many folks involved in this record, both as producers and performers. Change was founded or created by a businessman, <laughs> Jacques-Fred Petrus, who basically wanted to capitalize on disco's immense popularity. And so I think like every track is just so rich with like different musicians and producers who sort of had a hand in putting this record together and really every change record together. I was pretty glad that I listened to this before reading about them because the, the nature of that, that they're, you know, made by a businessman Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's a bunch of hired guns made me not as, (laughs) I don't know. That's not my vibe. I have weird hangups about that, that they're kind of that like sellout 
thing that I think yeah. is both dumb, but like somehow is so deeply ingrained in me that it's, it's hard to ignore for me. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I think that like the more research I did into Petrus, the business person who put this band together and, and other folks involved, it's like, clearly this was music made ex- like explicitly for profit. It's not a passion project. It's like, let's make as much money as we can on this like dance music trend. But they hired the right people because it sounds great. And also that approach, I mean, has always been pretty common in the music industry, but was especially common for disco. Absolutely. It was a very producer driven genre and business person driven genre. Before I realized that that was the case with this record, there were a couple things that were indications that maybe something like that was going on. We aren't playing either of these songs, but I noticed that the intro, the drum fill intro to both Promise Your Love and the title track, Sharing Your Love, were identical. (laughs) You you cannot tell the difference between those two drum fills. Yeah. Uh, So just a few things that made them seem a little, dare I say, manufactured. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ultimately, it's pretty good if that's the case. (laughs) But now, maybe I'm mistaken, but isn't this the record where some of the musicians started to have more say in the sound and the songwriting than the previous two albums. They were like kind of starting to come out as their own and as a group a little bit here. Yeah. I think in the first two change records and I've got like, I can chat about this a little bit more in depth later, but the first two change records were all the songs were exclusively written by this like in-house writing and production team who like put everything together in the studio in Bologna and then like shift it out to the US to fill it in with the rest of the music, like the vocals, etc. So it was very much like a factory <laughs> of like creating really great dance hits. Based on how they're dressed up on the cover, I, I looks like they've been making that money. Yeah. <laughs> this, this group has been pulling in some hits and some some cash for yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the cover. <laughs> they're really serving some 80s wall street realness with the the fashions on this cover and i really want to talk about the cover before we get too much into like who's involved the cover of this album is so different than the previous two change albums which featured geometric patterns for their cover art it was like really not about the people involved in their records. The first two albums are just like random artful decoration. <laughs> Whereas this one, it's the first change album that features some of the musicians on the cover. So if you search change on Google, this is the first image that you'll you'll find. It's the most you know prominent one, I guess. Yeah, I noticed that it's often used for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the Discogs profile picture for for change but it should be noted that like throughout the band's like tenure the members changed a lot and also a lot of the musicians who contributed to each album weren't technically in the band so they're not in the album artwork so there are like seven people on this cover but it isn't really a reflection of who is in the band and who is making the music but yeah the cover is super stylized to me it looks really like they're participating in reaganomics (laughs) (laughs) or like maybe looking for finance jobs because they're all wearing like gray drab suits and like 
fancy accessories. They just look well put together. Like they're ready to go to work for, for wall street. Yeah. The height of eighties business fashion here. Yeah. 1982. I also, I also love how somehow like each person on the cover is bringing a different vibe. Like they can't seem to mm-hmm. decide like, are we smiling? Are we not? Are we looking cool? Are we looking sexy? <laughs> are we That's putting so on the ridiculous Coke bottle glasses for this or the sunglasses? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, everyone does look kind of different. It's like, who was the art director on this one? But the guy in the back who I'll get to is like, he looks so stone faced, just like, yeah, not interested. <laughs> the photographer was Jim Houghton and the art direction was Bob Deferin. I, I know nothing more about them. than <laughs> I just happen to be holding the jacket. Well, they did a great job because somehow, despite all of the uh, weird facial expressions or not weird, the different facial expressions, somehow it all comes together. Yeah, still, it's still iconic. Yes. We should not overlook stylist Veronica Riley, because I bet she had a something to do with the look. Yeah. <laughs> As a side look. note, I want to say there's like so many names on the back of this record, and I want to go through a few of them right now. Just I thought of, you were going to say all of them. <laughs> I want to go through all of them. We'll be here for hours. Oh, my God. I, try, I tried to count all the players on the Discogs page, and I think it's like 68, yeah. somewhere around there. <sighs> a lot a lot of cooks in the kitchen but it worked out but i want to go over like just seven of them the the seven folks who were on the cover of this record and point out that like you know change was a a manufactured band as we've discussed and all of the folks on the cover well you know obviously the band itself is sort of amorphous with all sorts of session musicians in the background all the folks on the cover have their own like success outside of change it was almost like this was a sort of a stepping stone for them, for most of them. So on the left, we've got Jeff Bova, who's the keyboardist. He's wearing those uh, really funky sunglasses that are like so 80s. He actually went on to win a Grammy for his production work with Celine Dion. Totally random. Wow. Um, He's also worked with Westlife and Katy Perry. I did find him on LinkedIn. He's got a website called um, Bova Land or something. Yeah. Wow. That might be the first time that we've used LinkedIn as a (laughs) source. (laughs) Uh, He's a serious businessman, as indicated by this cover art. Yeah. He loves LinkedIn. (laughs) Anyway, next to Jeff is Vincent Henry. He's right to his, uh, his right. He's the saxophone player and guitarist. Also a session musician who released his own smooth jazz album in 1990. I did listen to some of it for this episode. Sadly, it's it's not great, but you know, he had some success actually releasing his own album, which is pretty cool. Then next to Vincent, we've got Deborah Cooper right in the center, giving you these like really sultry eyes. <laughs> She's the lead vocalist. And she had a lot of success um, outside of change. She actually went on to perform with CNC Music Factory. Oh. Yeah. And then she also was a background singer for Mariah Carey and Jessica Simpson, randomly, and a bunch of other like pop divas. Wow. I like yeah. one of those two artists. I am right. also a huge Jessica Simpson fan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read her book? It's really good. And also, I love Mariah Carey. I can't lie. Okay. 
So next to Deborah, we've got this like stone-faced guy in the background, the, clearly the tallest of the bunch. His name is Rick Galway. He's the percussionist. I didn't find out a lot about him except that he's a session musician as well who contributed to a bunch of different records. This was the only change record he was on though. And he's got his arm around Timmy Allen, the bassist, the very right, not to be confused with Tim Allen. Oh yeah, um, local hero. <laughs> yeah, local Kalamazoo hero, <laughs> Tim Allen. It was it was here that he got busted at the airport for dealing coke, right, Jeremy? Yeah, he got busted um, with like it was like eleven pounds of coke or something. It was like an insane amount because he apparently wow. climbed the chain. Yeah. That's, that's, that's wild. His, that's his legacy in Kalamazoo. Tim, home improvements, Tim Allen. And and he oh went to our university here. Yeah, he went to Western. Didn't he also like rat out his buddies to get a reduced sentence or something cool like yes. that? Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> and went on to wow. become a conservative icon. Who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's some great local trivia and like, you know, talking about drugs, like definitely in line with the 80s aesthetic so you know, true he's not related to this album but he's here in spirit different tim allen timmy allen is the bassist who went on to become a producer with jive records oh wow and he worked with r kelly and the backstreet boys and britney spears like hugely successful Interesting. Yeah. Well, it looks like around this time he was also in the BB and Q band, which is one of my yeah. favorite '80s funk groups. Okay, so I did some research into that. Side note: BB and Q. Wait, BBQ is that how you what you say? BB and Q. It's the BB Brooklyn Bronx and Queens band. So that band was actually formed by Petrus, I think, according to oh, Wikipedia. Interesting. Don't quote me on that. I should really do more research, but he had his hand in a lot of different bands well, it would make sense because it, it looked like there might be a couple people that yes. crossed over into the bb and q band from this record and then, and then after that we've got james robinson in the sunglasses in the center looking pretty cool really dapper he's the lead vocalist he left change after this album to pursue a solo career which unfortunately wasn't super successful he just released one album guilty in 1987 but I want to point out that he has an incredible vocal range, and I highly recommend that listeners check out the song Can We Do It Again from that album. It's really cheesy, but it's also really catchy, and I love it. And his voice is just so, so perfect. His, he sometimes seems to go by the nickname Crab, which is where I got my title from. Yeah, what's that about? I wonder where that came from. I, I didn't look into it enough considering that I decided to go with it. <laughs> well, I, I guess we better find him on LinkedIn and see what the whole crap thing yeah. is about then. I'm sure he's on there along with everyone else on this record. Side note, it looks like he also did some vocals with Norman Connors and Lonnie Liston-Smith. Hmm. Yeah, people on this record are just kind of all over the place. You could really go down a rabbit hole with all of the different folks listed. And I did with the last person here, Mike Campbell, who's in the front sitting down, looking kind of out of it. Um, he's the guitarist, and he was also a prolific session musician. Um, he passed away in 2014, but one of the, the albums he was uh, part of was D'Angelo's Voodoo. Wow. He played on the first track 
again, according to Wikipedia and, and Discogs, but like, that's incredible. Yeah. What a run. Um, another guy who was in the BB and Q band, it looks yeah. like. There you go. So although these are the people on the cover, there's also a lot of folks in the background, as we sort of alluded to, there's like tons of folks on the back of the, of the record just listed including Kashif, who was a successful solo musician and also known for his production work with Evelyn Champagne King. Yeah. Leroy Burgess, who's a disco soul singer, keyboard player, songwriter, and producer. He actually wrote one of the tracks that we'll play later. And singer Fonzie Thornton, who's uh, who worked with Chic, Roxy Music, and Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Just what a wild run. Yeah, it's been way too long since we mentioned Kashif on I'd Buy That for a Dollar. There was a time where <laughs> he was coming up like every other episode. but Yeah, the legend. Thanks for bringing him back, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I wonder um, which tracks he's on, because actually one of the first times I played this record, I think like the first two tracks especially, I was like, man, this kind of sounds like Kashif. And then I look it up, and sure enough, he's on here mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like... Recommend that folks listen, or sorry, that folks um, check out the album on Discogs just to sift through all the folks who contributed to the album. Because at some point while researching for the podcast, I had to stop myself because I was falling down so many rabbit holes of like different people involved. And it's just, you could really just research this for, for days and days. Well, how about we listen to another song and let people go deeper on their own time? Sounds good. Yeah, we were talking about playing the lead single from this album, The Very Best in You, as our next selection, which is side A, track one.
Yeah, I think that track is a really good example of changes shift to more of an R&B sound, especially in the bridge. It's like so smooth on this track. Yeah, and that's that's definitely the song that has the Kashif vibes for me. Yeah. Even the the vocals by James Robinson kind of sound like what Kashif would have been doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was written by Herb Smith, one of the guitarists on this album, who had worked on a lot of Philadelphia International Records releases, as well as uh, the other co-writer on it was Maru Malavasi, who was the co-producer on this album and Petrus's business partner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've sort of talked a lot about this record and I want to talk about change more generally because I think it really helps to set the stage for like the context of this record and, and what it was created to do and to like be profitable. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So change was formed in Italy in 1980 as a studio band by this businessman we've sort of referred to, Jacques-Fred Petrus. So Petrus actually moved to Milan from Guadalupe in the early 70s, where he met Mauro Malavasi and formed uh, Goody Music Productions, which also set up a recording studio in Bologna. So they were pretty successful sort of farming out the the Italo disco sound their first project was called Macho, Macho, which released it. <laughs> That's right. Um, they actually released an 18-minute-long disco version of the Spencer Davis Group's "I'm a Man," which is on Spotify. You can listen to it in its various remixes. I encourage listeners to do that. It's a really good example of Italo or like Euro disco because it's the first disco record made entirely by Italian musicians that became like a worldwide hit. So obviously they were doing pretty well with their record label and they released a lot of other records as well, um, mainly written and performed by session musicians that they scouted while out in the nightclub scene, meeting different folks. But then they formed Little Macho Music and opened up their own office in New York City. So they formed Changed in 1980 and it was highly influenced by Chic's success. You know, obviously Chic is this like huge disco band, international sensation, touring all over, selling platinum records. And Petrus hired Italian musicians to write and arrange the tracks in his studio in Bologna before they were shipped to the US where the vocals were added. I think I mentioned that earlier. It's sort of this um, factory of, of production of, of um, you know, creating these really stellar hits. And of course, Petrus himself was not a musician, was not a producer. He just had the capital and the business acumen to like figure all this stuff out. So Change debuted with the album, The Glow of Love. It was a huge success. It spent nine weeks at the top of the US dance charts and featured a young and not yet very well-known Luther Vandross on the title track. This helped launch his career, and most know the song today as the sample from Janet Jackson's All For You. It was also sampled by Aretha Franklin in the song Here We Go Again in 1998. But the song A Lover's Holiday from this record was actually the record's first single, and Zachary Sanders of Schoolhouse Rock was the vocalist. They actually (laughs) ad-libbed a lot of that track as well. So you can kind of get this sense that like, throughout Change's discography, there's just all sorts of folks involved. 
who aren't like necessarily part of the band. Their second record, Miracles, was released in 1981. James Robinson, who's the folks or with the guy with the sunglasses on the cover of this record, he replaced Vandross on the record, who was still technically in the band, but could only contribute background vocals because at this point he was becoming much more successful and he had a lot of contract issues. And by the time Change released Sharing Your Love, Vandross wasn't in the band anymore and Robinson had sort of fully replaced him as the lead singer. Yeah, no no Luther Vandross on the on this album that we're listening to today. No, sadly. Many other great singers though. That was the part that I think when I read like Luther Vandross decided not to be on the record because of contract disputes or whatever. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Like nobody yeah. wants to do this. It's just for money. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. But it's really good though. Like it is, it is, it does have that feeling of like, we are, you know, creating music as just a commercial product. Like we don't care about this being a passion project, but it is really incredible music. Miracles is an amazing they record. Did get, yeah. They got a bunch of assassins. <laughs> they really did. They really did. They all, they all killed it. Yeah, I can't deny the groove. No, you can't deny the groove. The hooks, the groove, the beat. It's amazing. Paradise and Hold Tight are two incredible songs on Miracles. And I think they're like a perfect bridge between 70s disco and 80s R&B. So two standout tracks. Miracles is the album that precedes the one we're listening to today. That's right. So it was Glow of Love, Miracles, and Sharing Your Love which sharing your love sort of moved them further to that R&B sound. It's like kind of a departure from their more like disco vibes. And it's also a departure from their writing process. So when they moved, when Matcha Music moved to New York, they obviously made a lot more connections with folks in that city. And the album features songs by other artists in that were, you know, based in the States instead of their previous records, which were all made up or written by their like in-house writing team in Italy. It's also a shift to where it was recorded. So their two other albums were released or sorry, were partially or totally recorded in the studio in Bologna, whereas Sharing Your Love was recorded entirely at Media Sound Studios in New York, which is a pretty big studio, like a bunch of amazing records were recorded there. Yeah, a lot of the session players on this I recognize from other New York adjacent stuff we featured. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. Do, do we want to play another clip from this record at this point? Yes, absolutely. What did you have in mind? So I've got um, your my number one in mind, which is written by Leroy Burgess, who is a pretty heavy hand in this record, despite not technically being in the band. And Sonny Davenport, who is um, Leroy Burgess's cousin. And James Calloway, who's a bassist and songwriter who worked regularly with Burgess. So it's kind of a all-in-the-family type of track. And I love it. So let's play it. Yeah. So you're my number one, side B, track four.
the last track that we featured, The Very Best in You, is, as far as I can tell, the only song from this that really had much impact on the R&B charts or the Billboard mm -hmm. Hot 100. But man, I really think that that could have been a hit. That That's a hot number there. Absolutely. It's a great track. It's like smooth yet dancey. Like it's just, it's so early 80s. I love it. Feels like a Corton song to me. <laughs> Corton? I'd, I'd do some Corton to a song like that. 100%. What, what, what happened to co-host Jeremy? I don't know. I just, <laughs> Twain overtook me. This, this seems like the record that would do that, you know, not Dottie West or yeah. Ray Price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Uh, good times. So that's, that's chic. Good times is chic. Oh, right. I always get them confused because they sound so similar. <laughs> I, yeah, I could definitely see why this group, how this group was influenced by Chic. But as you said, they've, they've, yeah. this really has gone away from that disco into kind of the, it's starting to sound like R&B as it developed throughout the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. eventually leading to like New Jack Swing type stuff. Oh, totally. It definitely has that vibe. And evidently some of the New Jack Swing producers. <laughs> Yeah, we went on to Time Records. So, what happens in the story after this record, or where where do we want to what do we want to focus on in the story of change? Yeah, so they did release a few more records after this one, and I just wanted to point out their last record, "Turn on Your Radio," has a really great track called "Mutual Attraction." Highly recommend folks listen to that one. But Petrus continued to be like credited as the producer of these albums and other albums that he was releasing. But he's, of course, not a musician or a producer. <laughs> and I kind of want to talk about his reputation and give some insight into what it must have been like to be a session musician on one of these albums. So sadly, Petrus was killed in 1987 at the age of 39 he was accused of tax evasion in 1986 so he fled the country he went home to guadalupe it was murdered a year later it's pretty wild no one actually knows who the killer is but he was partying at a club that he owned so he's a high roller he got into a fight with someone and that man followed him home and and shot him and Petrus had a, a reputation for being ruthless. He, not to say that he deserved to be killed, but he didn't produce or write any of the albums he helped release, even though he falsely took credit for it. And he also set up like musical guidelines that writers had to strictly follow. And he had the final say on like everything he funded. And I found this quote from Bobby Douglas, who was a vocalist on Sharing Your Love, when asked about Petrus's death, he actually said, I know that it was something waiting to happen because you can't be that evil to that many people and not have your karma affected. Oof. Pretty spicy, pretty damning. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy quote there. <laughs> but you just imagine like how difficult and stressful it would have been to you know, be a singer, you know, anyone related or involved in these in these records it must have been so difficult to produce and record the album and it does make you think about how it was made purely for profit 
So the shift away from disco to R&B on this record was just Petrus like following the money and making something that would generate more sales. It's not a passion project, but it does sound really good. And it does make you think differently about the last song I want to play. I also wanted to point out that, you know, I'm getting into some of this information just from, you know, researching online, but there's a lot of nuance to it. And I encourage listeners to, to look into it as well and, and really get a fuller picture of change and Petrus and the history of Italo disco. Cause there's really so much to explore. Yeah, there there's a lot here. I mean, as you said, just alone, the, the, there's so many people credited in the production mm-hmm. process of this. The aforementioned Davide Romani and Maru Malavasi. I you know I have a feeling that uh, their names are right next to Jacques Fred Petrus, but I, I have a feeling they had a lot more to do with the musical aspect <laughs> of it than yeah. than he did. But yeah, it's fascinating. And the, the weird thing about this band is. I could find very little, if any, footage of them on YouTube, like live mm. stuff, like mm-hmm. as far as like not, not even like lip syncing type stuff from of them performing stuff from this album. Or it's it's wild, but there's a lot. There is information out there. Like uh, mm-hmm. I had f- stumbled on an interview with Davide Romani, and there's there's stuff out there. There's there's a following to this, and there's a lot of people involved. <laughs> so the information could get cobbled together into a, a more complete picture, and hopefully we've at least started here mm-hmm. today. <laughs> well, you wonder like maybe Change didn't tour that much. There's not that much footage of them performing live because they released these three albums in three years. Like they were working at a pretty steady clip to get this stuff done. And they were also probably working on a lot of other albums as yeah. well, maybe touring with other bands. Sean, this seems like your bag. I'm excited to see what you found or what you have as recommended similar albums. Well, I was just thinking that with all the Italio disco references, I probably should have put some other Italian-based artists on the recommended list, which I did not. But the ones I did put on here, first up, Atlantic Star, Yours Forever from 1983. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite early 80s records and one that is currently on our long list of possible future podcast albums. Second one, 1982 record, Aura, A Little Love. Do you guys remember talking about the band Aura in one of our recent episodes? I remember that name, but I'm trying, I'm blanking on why what they were mentioned in. That is an offshoot of the band Slave, fronted right, by right, right. the lead singer Steve Washington. But uh, more of that sophisticated R&B funk sound, some similarities going on. And then one last 1982 record produced by Kashif, Evelyn King, Get Loose, previously featured on an episode of this show. Nice. Lauren, you had, you've been hyped on some Evelyn Champagne King as of late, haven't you? Yeah, I think she's incredible. I found this record, Face to Face, by Evelyn King. Interestingly, it was produced by Leon Silvers III. Oh. Familiar face. Yeah. Who we talked about last time you were on. Yeah, uh, that's right. Because he was involved in Dynasty. That's exactly right. But there's this great track. It's on the second side, Given You My Love. What you going to do with it? It's a really incredible dance number. And I played it out and I loved it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that we, it's just too soon. We we recently decided that we have to wait until episode 983 
to feature <laughs> any artists that we've previously featured. Many years from now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Many years from now. We, uh, yeah, that was that was going to be your, another, you had thrown that out as an mm-hmm. option, but here yeah. we are with, with change. Well, Lauren, what did you want to play to go out on here? Yeah, I want to play a track um, called Hard Times. It's going to be all right. This is the second track on the album. And it was written by that production team of Mara Malavasi, Davide Romani, and allegedly Petrus, but you know, he was not a songwriter, along with Fonzie Thornton. I was thinking about this track because I think thematically it's it's a perfect track for today's economic climate. It's an anthem about just how difficult things are and you know, trying to dance through it, I guess. <laughs> But it did make me think about how difficult it would have been in the studio recording these tracks with, you know, Petrus cracking the whip. So I imagine like to be a fly in the wall of that, you know, this, this session must, you know, it must have been really difficult. And then just to sing this song, like it's going to be all right, must have been a bit jarring. But I think it's also a great track because it reminds me of Leroy Burgess. He has a song that he performed with the Universal Robot Band called Barely Breaking Even which is a really amazing dance number about the pressures of late stage capitalism. It's a working class anthem about just wanting to enjoy life with dignity, despite the grind. I played it out recently and it's a a banger. The best version of Barely Breaking Even is on YouTube, not Spotify. So I would encourage folks to find it there. But I think it's interesting because it's another tie on to Burgess who, you know, contributed to the record, both as a writer and a singer. And this song is very much in line with that, with that theme. So let's play it. Fantastic. I hope that wasn't too long. Sorry. I just kept going. (laughs) No, things to think about. That gives us things to think about here as we get out of here on this episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us yet again. It was a pleasure, as always. Bringing a little bit of that change our way. Well, my name is Peter Cook. I'm co-host Jeremy. I'm co-host Sean. And I'm Lauren.
again.